Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform called Squarespace 7, and it has a completely redesigned interface, integrates with Getty Images and Google Apps, has 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com. Enter offer code VERBAL at checkout for 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal, boys and girls. Ty Hildenbrandt. Over here in Balmy Allentown, Pennsylvania, joined as always by my good friend Dan Rubenstein, all the way out there in sunny Southern California. Dan, how are you, sir? The vacation never ends, Tyler. I am uh, I'm doing pretty well. It's in the 60s and sunny. I uh, went to the Rose Bowl, been yeah. watching a lot of college football, been eating all sorts of Mexican food. Ty, I don't have life complaints at the moment. How does the other half live? Oh, in a, in a perfectly reasonable way, Ty. I was in, I was at the beach a couple days ago, did a bunch of food trucks. Our friend Andy Staples was in town for the Rose Bowl. Got to watch him take down an ice cream sandwich that would best be defined as if you were to stack like nine decks of cards. Okay. That's what it was a double decker sandwich, ice cream sandwich. I posted on Twitter. It was, it was impressive. It was ridiculous. And let us all pray for Andy Staples' digestive tract. Andy Staples is is an impressive individual, though. Absolutely. Otherwise, I mean, he's got the food thing going on. A talented reporter. We will talk to him, hopefully, mm-hmm. in a couple days, because, oh, by the way, we are going to be in Dallas, Texas, talking all things college football playoff, national championship. Your mm-hmm. two victors from the semifinals, Oregon and Ohio State. We're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about... Some of the other bowl games. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, on FanCred, and on Twitter. Dan, where should we start here? Because there's a lot to get through. I'm assuming you want to start with the Rose Bowl because that was kind of the the highlight for a lot of college football fans. That was my sense. Even though the Ohio State-Alabama game was really exciting and drew 28 million fans watching Mm -hmm. at home, there was something about that Oregon dismantling of Florida State that really captured the imagination of 28 million others who were watching at home. Let's start with the Rose Bowl. What was it like being there? What was the atmosphere like? What were the Florida State people like? It's college football heaven. The Rose Bowl is college football heaven. Just as a venue, the Rose Bowl game um, set up against the mountains. Everybody knows this. It's, it's just beauty. It's pure college football beauty. Tailgating, everything like that was great. It was Oregon representing about 80% of the, uh, of the populace yeah. in attendance, um, I would say, and which makes sense given the, the high cost of traveling cross country. It's much easier for Oregon fans on the West coast, obviously West coast, much more populated with Oregon fans and Florida state fans, but, uh, all the Florida state fans I came across were great. They were all, all friendly and just supportive of their team. It was a good time. I actually sat in as much as a, a section can be a Florida state section. I was around the 40 yard line on that side of the field, so that, that was fun as an Oregon person to see the sort of disappointment of one's opponent up close. But um, in terms of atmosphere, it was, it was a nice day, ideal conditions for a football game. And it was one of those, the, the result is, I, I would say everybody agrees, fairly surprising the way everything played out. But at sure. the same time, 
when we, as we've seen Florida state and their own very clear flaws this season uh, and, and sort of taking a step back from where they were last year as a dominant offensive team, it wasn't altogether too surprising the way everything played out. Jameis Winston was given a lot of time and was very good while the game was sort of going back and forth. Uh, Florida state was able to run the ball against Oregon with, with a lot of regularity with Carlos Williams and Dalvin cook. Um, I guess the, the somewhat surprising part was Rashad green was never really able to get going in terms of big plays. Oregon did a fantastic job defensively, both in the red zone and, you know, so really clenched up near the goal line and also keeping everything in front of them, which they've been able to do for a good part of the year. And then I, to me, the, the surprising thing was the, the degree to which Oregon was able to drive down the field methodically. We, we've gotten used to Oregon as a big play team, but they pushed around Florida state's front, which again, not nearly the front they were last year. And they, they are sort of beat up Eddie Goldman coming back from injuries and the, you know, everybody's beat up Oregon ran away with this game without a number of huge contributors. Um, but with the regularity that Oregon was able to move the ball on the ground, they, they sort of picked apart nickeling and diming a little bit uh, Florida state early with screens and the run game. And then the third quarter, we've seen Oregon third quarters since chip Kelly arrived in Eugene, where they've picked apart teams in the first half, figured out who to pick on. And then it's floodgates. And then when you aid the offense with all those turnovers as Oregon's defense did. And we've seen, you know, Florida state's turnover margin is in the triple digits, a hundred and whatever going into the game. Oregon's third. Um, We've seen it all season long, whether it was Louisville, Boston college, Florida, you're going to be able to turn Florida state over, but if you're not able to turn those turnovers into touchdowns, it doesn't matter. And then Oregon scored 27 points in the third quarter, 34. If you count the the first minute of the fourth and then, and even with like 25 point lead in the second half, as an Oregon fan who's watched Florida state all season long, that's terrifying. That's right. not, there are never enough points until Sean McGuire comes in. until Sean McGuire comes in. Well, and and so that was, that was the surprise. Mariota wasn't great in this early on in this game, but until you see the, the quit in Florida state, which they very clearly had in the second half, it was, it was still terrifying. All right. Yeah. I mean, you're stealing my thunder here big time. Yeah. Sorry. I No, it's quite all right. I, I couldn't agree more. To me, the shocking aspect of this was the way Florida State quit. You might remember watching that game. It was 25-20 Oregon. It was still a close game mm-hmm. midway through the third quarter. And it really did have the feel of a game where Florida State would find a way to win. They yeah. were running pretty effectively with Dalvin Cook. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, they were they Carlos were, Williams, both about seven yards a carry. Yeah, they were killing Oregon over the middle mm-hmm. because they had a ton of time for James Winston to throw the football. I sent out a tweet at one point that he had chances to do pretty much whatever he wanted as a passer yeah. because they gave him a ton of time against that Oregon front. But mm-hmm. then the way things came off the hinges to me is what was most surprising. Seven turnovers in this game, but five by Florida State. 34 points by Oregon off those five Florida State turnovers. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, right after the famous meme-worthy Jameis Winston fumble, which went back yep. for a touchdown, at some point thereafter, it came off the swivel. Yeah. And Florida State essentially quit on itself they end up walking off the field, not shaking hands about, I don't know, three quarters of them or so, if you believe right. Kirk Herbstreet. And I just kept thinking to myself that if you are someone at home, if you are one of those 28 million people watching this game, mm-hmm. and if you are rooting adamantly against Florida State, either because you're 
a fan of a rival ACC team or just a fan of college football or not a fan of college football, for whatever reason, if you know Florida State's deal and if you believe them to be the villain, this was exactly the way you wanted to see them go down. Yeah, because they went down with sloppy mistakes. They had infighting on the sidelines between Jameis and Jimbo. Mm -hmm. Again, they essentially quit. Florida State's Twitter, <laughs> Twitterverse, FSU Twitter, sort of turned on itself. And if you believe yeah. what you see on Deadspin, <laughs> maybe even the team, this was really an iconic loss for a number of different reasons. Your final yeah. score was 59 to 20 Oregon over Florida State. I'm not going to sit here and say I was actively rooting against Florida State. I was definitely rooting against them because of some of the people I've come in contact Right. With over the last year. Sure. But Florida State as a team, to me, has been dominant and very incredible to watch over the span of 29 straight wins. In spots, yeah. In spots, right? I don't typically root against dynasties like that. I, I am sure. fascinated by dynasties. So there was definitely part of me that was interested in seeing Florida State win to see if they could go on to the next level and, and continue this incredible streak. But it just was not meant to be. I found an interesting stat from ESPN Research. In the last 10 seasons of bowl game action, mm-hmm. no team has a worst yards per point than Florida State did against Oregon. No team scored wow. fewer points on 500 or more total yards of offense. Yeah. So Oregon got it done, obviously, offensively, off the turnovers, and defensively holding Florida State down to just 20 points. Yeah, I don't know how many Oregon wins don't leave their opponents demoralized, and that's exactly what happened. And I I liken this, and we're going to move on to Ohio State-Alabama in a moment. Um, You know those boxers? I know Floyd Mayweather is like this, where they're they're not attacking constantly. They're, They're sort of picking their spots. They're, they're looking for openings. They're looking for the flaws. Yep. And then, and then comes the wave. And that's what it felt like. I thought the Oregon offensive game plan was pretty much impeccable, especially considering some of the injuries and players they were without defensively. I still, they really didn't get off the field a ton defensively other than those turnovers. So right. I'm curious to see how they adjust to a quarterback who is not nearly as prolific and dangerous, at least with his arm yeah. as Cardell Jones is uh, Cardell Jones. So I'm curious about that looking forward, but Oregon offensively and the way they were able to, to leap on Florida state consistently in this game, even without Marcus Mariota playing his best game of the year. I was, um, I was surprised and I was, it was, it was a pleasant surprise and encouraged moving forward, uh, looking ahead to Ohio state. So I'm going to ask this question about Florida state. It was a popular column for people to write. And I understand why they wrote it. Is this the end of the quote unquote Florida state dynasty, Dan? Um, it all depends who's playing quarterback next year. Thank you. Um, it They've recruited exceptionally well all over the field. They have talent everywhere. I don't know the exact ages of their offensive line, but again, they've recruited everywhere really well. And as far as I've seen, they're still going to get to play against ACC teams next year. Well, so, and that's the thing. One loss in 30 games <laughs> does not end a dynasty. It's still a very no. good program, a very healthy program. And honestly, that I, I think that word is probably... They won one one championship. They won That's one not championship. A I I agree. It's been an incredible run. Yeah, the case is much clearer if you want to use that word, which is sort of a weird word. Alabama has won many championships recently, whereas Florida State has won a a championship. Twenty nine and one. Yeah, does not end things at Florida State. They're going to no. be just fine, regardless of who's playing quarterback. Correct. Who knows who that's going to be? Let's move on then to the other so called dynasty, Alabama. Mm-hmm. goes down to Ohio State 42 
to 35 in the Sugar Bowl. This was your second national semifinal. They pushed it back because the Oregon game ran a little bit over. How much of this game were you able to watch? I honestly, I was able to see a, a pretty much the entire game. Oh, great. West, West Coast Kevin lives pretty close to the Rose Bowl, so just went to his place after. Missed, I think we got there when it was... Um, maybe seven, six, something like that. So just time yeah. left in the first quarter. And I've since watched the beginning. So I've seen the entire game and boy, do I have thoughts. You have thought, well, after a quarter and a half, yeah, it did look as if Ohio state's goose might be cooked. Yeah. They could not get the offense going. Cardale Jones at that point through God, I want to say three or four passes into the stands. Mm-hmm. I think it was our friend, Chris Brown from smart football on Twitter talking about, uh, he hoped Cardale Jones wouldn't knock anyone's beer out of their hands. Mm-hmm. So it kind of had that feel as if Alabama had the Ohio State offense figured out. But then, then Ohio State rips off 28 unanswered. They do it in part on the arm of Cardale Jones. He hit some big passes. Mm-hmm. We talked about the vertical pass game in the buildup to this national semifinal. And in fact, he did hit Devin Smith on a big one. There were some other big plays that he was definitely a part of. Also, Ezekiel Elliott finished the Sugar Bowl with a record 230 yards, two touchdowns, just 23 carries. Uh, Another popular column to write that I saw in a bunch of spots was how much the Ohio State offense resembled Oregon's. We can talk about that in a little bit. Yep. Uh, But the big thing here was that Alabama did not control the game as it usually does. And this was something that Nick Saban admitted in his post-game press conference. His defense surrendered 537 total yards. Mm -hmm. That's unfamiliar territory if you're the Crimson Tide. Usually this is a shutdown defense. They couldn't get a handle on Ohio State after that first quarter and a half. And simply put, it never felt like they grasp the game the way they usually do we're so used to seeing Alabama control the game with the running attack control the game with Derek Green and TJ Yeldon or Blake Sims make that big pass in this game Ohio State was able to force Blake Sims into some bad decisions there were points later in this game where Alabama played with its back to the wall and Blake Sims made some more mistakes this was unfamiliar territory if you're a Crimson Tide fan and you got to give it to Urban Meyer and Cardale Jones and the coaching staff at Ohio State for doing this all the last two weeks now, last two weeks of the season with a third string quarterback. Mm-hmm. That is really damn impressive. Yes, it is. Um, Ohio State was the better team, is the better team, had the better performance, forced the, the, the more crucial mistakes, got the defense off the field repeatedly. I think they... They held Alabama like something like two of was two of twelve, two of thirteen on third downs. All of that aside, that is that is the top of the line headline that Ohio State did everything essentially better if they wanted to win a game. What the hell was that play calling from Alabama? Yeah. What the Derrick Henry, seven yards a carry, you give it to him thirteen times? I, it boggles the mind in a relatively close game. And granted, Blake Sims actually showed himself to be very good in spots and then had untimely turnovers. The third down play calling was very strange and Ohio state able to take advantage. I just, I really figured that Alabama was going to start running the ball a lot more in the second half. And they didn't, I think it was 23 total carries for, for Henry and Yeldon and Cardell Jones, a, a decent game and got picked up big time, timely yards on the ground, made some big passes was 
overthrew receivers by 14, 16 yards at times. I think he's still because of the defense and how well Ezekiel Elliott was on the ground, which I don't know if there's a, a word that's higher than excellent or perfect or anything like that. Ezekiel Elliott was amazing. Yeah. Um, Cardell Jones, how raw he still is, was masked by a lot of that. And I'd be very concerned even with the huge win over Wisconsin, even beating Alabama. Um, there is concern that the sort of nuances of playing on this stage as a quarterback is it's expected and it's totally understandable that he doesn't possess that yet, but that that's a, a slight concern, but he was very good when he needed to be. Um, I was, I was impressed that Amari Cooper was held down the way he is. Cause that seemed to be the focus of Ohio state's defense and they still haven't been great against the run. And so that's a worry to me against Oregon, but Devin Smith, huge catches Jalen Marshall as frustrating as he can be with some of the decisions he makes on the field with that crazy punt return where he had to jump up to catch it. Yeah. And almost, and like on like the nine, um, the punting in this game was great if you liked punting. So there's a lot more to be encouraged about. Obviously if you're Ohio state to go into new Orleans in the South where there's an overwhelming Alabama crowd, uh, and to come away with this game by forcing mistakes and winning on the ground, which seems like an Alabama way to win, um, could not have been more impressed with Ohio state, especially since they, by all accounts squeaked into this playoff. And if we had the BCS, we'd have Alabama and Florida state yep. and God bless it. I'm glad we don't have that. Yep. That's according to ESPN's Brad Edwards. Yeah. It would have been Florida state against Alabama. Now our title game is Oregon against Ohio state. That mm-hmm. game will be on January 12th. It's a Monday night. We will be watching. We will be yep. tweeting. We will be doing shows starting on Thursday running through the uh, national championship and then probably at some point immediately thereafter. But yep. So look, here's the way this all shakes out, Dan. You've got uh, Oregon, one loss, Ohio mm-hmm. State, one loss. Yeah. TCU, which we'll talk about in a little bit, rolled over Ole Miss in their bowl game. Mm-hmm. You had Baylor basically forfeit a lead, gave up 21 points in the fourth quarter, ends yeah. up losing to Michigan State. Now is the time when we ask the question, did the committee get it right? Did the committee get it right putting in Ohio State over a TCU? Um, I guess we could say even over a Baylor, even though they lost in their bowl game. Did the committee, in your estimation, get it right now after watching Ohio State against Alabama? Well, I mean, to be Captain hindsight, sure. Um, it's, you know, just because Baylor at number five loses to Michigan State at number eight doesn't mean Baylor's any less of a top 10 or even worthy team. Um, it appears so, you know, who's to say TCU could not have beaten Alabama running a very similar offense, spreading people out with, uh, with really great defensive backs TCU. If we're going to dive into that game momentarily, but yeah, yeah, I I'm totally fine as I was. Then I said, I was fine with any of those three teams making it in. I thought the differences were so minimal. Um, if, if we were to consider Ohio state a playoff worthy team with JT Barrett, then surely with Cardell Jones and what he was able to do against Wisconsin, there's no reason not to think that they were, I, I thought the margins were so slim that I couldn't emphatically make an argument for any of the teams. So obviously it turns out Ohio state was worthy it, it you know, and Baylor clearly with what they had done during the regular season. Um, and I don't know which game you want to go into next, but yes, they were worthy. I'm totally fine with how it played out. The one thing I will add though about the sugar bowl. And then I do want to move on because we've got a bunch of bowl games. We haven't gotten through. I was very disappointed that ESPN didn't put Brent Musburger on the call of that sugar bowl. I understand he is now part of the sec network. Right. I understand they've elevated Chris Fowler into that number one role 
Right. And it was Nestler, right? At the sugar. Nestler and Blackledge, who are both yeah. very talented broadcasters. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy their commentary, but this was so symbolic to finally have a playoff after like 45 or 50 years of trying. And there are whole generations of college football fans that were raised on the commentary of Brent Musburger on a Saturday Mm -hmm. afternoon or in a bowl game or eventually on a Saturday night for him not to be part of this in some way, shape or form to me felt wrong. It felt wrong. And I know we're turning over a new leaf with this, but even on the radio call or something, college football is nothing without its tradition and to not have Musburger calling one of these games, to me, it just just one man's opinion, and people can write in if they feel differently, but I would have liked to have seen him be on that Sugar Bowl call. I think that would have been really symbolic, but... I agree. A good game nonetheless. Shall we move on, Dan? I think we shall. Let's move on. Um, by the way, we've got a sponsor. You're here of uh, Squarespace? Of course I have. Huge fans of Squarespace. Building a website, I don't know how many you've built, but it used to take a long time. You used to have to set it all up manually, spend a full day troubleshooting it and making things look the way you wanted. And then if you ever had to edit a site, it was pretty easy to break links or even the whole thing. Yep. Even just to change font colors sometimes would be a real headache. Now we've got Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com. Use the offer code verbal. You'll get 10% off your first purchase if you show support for our podcast. Squarespace 7 allows you to build beautiful websites without a sweat. I'm mm-hmm. actually using it to build the Tying Kate wedding website. Oh. Squarespace 7 is out there. They've got a whole host of beautiful features. You can integrate your site with Google Apps for those of you who need to connect a domain or email or anything business related. If you run a content site, they've got a partnership with Getty Images, mm-hmm. which is a really cheap way for you to include high quality images on your site. Yep. Start a trial. You don't need a credit card. Start building your website today. If you decide to sign up for Squarespace, you just want to make sure you use the promo code VERBAL. That's V-E-R-B-A-L, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase to show your support for our podcast. One more time, that's promo code VERBAL. Squarespace is the name of the company, and as they say, start here, go anywhere. Guess who doesn't know how to code but still wants to produce clean, easy-to-use sites? Wink, wink. This guy. Nudge, nudge. And I imagine that there are a lot of people out there listening who are just as dumb and fans of clean websites as I am. So, yeah, there's your option. I say go for it. All right, let's move on to the other non-playoff games. And Daniel, as a whole, Mm -hmm. I must issue a mea culpa. Uh Uh-oh. As a whole, the Pac-12 has acquitted itself quite nicely. Yeah, I'd say so. Six and two, six and two in bowl games, five Uh and one, though. Among ranked teams, the only loss was the Arizona one, the the Fiesta Bowl against Boise State. I believe I had that, by the way. Clearly better than the SEC. Yeah. As its ranked teams went just two and five. We had losses, of course, by Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU. The only two winners among ranked teams were Georgia and Mizzou. The Big Ten also did really well for itself with Ohio State, Michigan State, and Wisconsin Winning, mm-hmm. they went three and one Absolutely. among ranked teams. So let's start. Uh, let's go all the way back into 2014 oh, on New Year's time. Eve Eve. Yeah. And talk about the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. We're not going to go into too much detail about Notre Dame's triumphant victory over LSU. Yeah. I will say, wow, I was caught off guard by this one. 
I had put all my confidence in LSU. Right. I was only half serious about it because of mm-hmm. the occult forces of the curse of Ty. Right. I was really impressed by what I saw from Notre Dame. Not so much from Everett Golson, not right. even so much from Malik Zaire, but the way this team decided to not quit and not mail it in the way they had the entire second half of the season to me was a very good sign and made me feel a lot better about moving forward into 2015. I thought the game plan was fantastic. I thought that the stat of the game was zero as in the number of Notre Dame turnovers. Um, and, and as in the number of, um, sort of touchdowns that were correctly called on fake field goals, um, for LSU, they were robbed of that. I think that was, that was pretty clear, but in terms of Notre Dame, Malik Zaire, not asked to do a ton through the air, but was extremely efficient both uh, through the air and on the ground. I think it was 95 yards or something on each. Uh, Everett Olsen wasn't great, but didn't make any mistakes. They were able to run the ball well with Leonard Fournette, obviously the the athlete of the game. But um, Notre Dame, I, I, for given that what their limitations are offensively and how bad they can get if they turn the ball over, really just like any team, I thought Notre Dame did a fantastic job um, being ready for LSU taking what LSU gave to them and walking away with a win. It was a, it was an impressive way for the Irish to end the season. They bring back 19 starters next year. So for those of you playing along at home, who's the, who's the 2015 quarterback? Oh, I still think it's Everett Golson. Okay. I still think it's Everett Golson. And do you think the scheme changes in any sort of dramatic way to make things easier for him? Honestly, no. Okay. I don't think much changes at all. If anything changes, I think they find some way to incorporate Malik Zaire because they're definitely at a bit of a crossroads here trying to figure out who this guy is going to be next year. And he definitely gives them something on the ground that Golson doesn't. Right. So Brian Kelly, I think, would be wise to find some Malik Zaire package he can run next year in a pinch. And it's certainly a good thing to know you have two decent quarterbacks in the event that one goes down. But I still feel like Everett Golson's a better passer than Malik Zaire. They're not going to have games next year where they can just get away with going on the ground. I need to see more out of Zaire through the air before I'm confident in him running the full offense from soup to nuts and and being an effective passer in, in a pinch. Yeah, sort of like what they did with Andrew Hendricks a couple years ago uh, on their run. And also, it should be noted, I think possibly the biggest thing to come out of this game or as it relates to this game, John Chavis moving on from LSU to Texas A&M. LSU defensive coordinator John Chavis making his way to College Station, which I think is significant. a pretty significant loss with how much success LSU has had on a national and SEC West stage with with Chavis at the helm. Of course, he has all a ton of success in Knoxville before Baton Rouge, but um in terms of top-level defensive coordinator talent, hard to argue for many people over John Chavis. So that's that's what LSU has to deal with moving forward. And Les Miles seemed a little bit salty about the move. <laughs> Some of his comments yep. made it seem as if he uh, was not handling it well. We'll see who LSU gets. I heard Clancy Pendergrast. I also heard uh, Bob Shoup from Penn State, mm-hmm. which would be a, a big blow to Nittany Lions fans, but um, we shall see again. Notre Dame surprises me, shocks the world, Daniel. (laughs) 31-28 was your final. Sure. Let's move on to the Belk Bowl. Yeah. Georgia, 37. Louisville, 14. The big story here was clearly the Chubb finding all the holes. Mm. 33 carries, 266 yards, two touchdowns. I'm assuming it's a Belk Bowl record. I don't have the record book handy. 
a big game from Nick Chubb. Georgia finishes the season very, very strong. They looked impressive here, Dan. Yeah, of course, Georgia losing Mike Bobo to Colorado State. So they're moving forward, looking for a new coordinator. They gave up a, a good amount through the air, but were able to get timely turnovers. I thought the defense was fantastic for Georgia. Um, you know, the, the quarterback situation for Louisville is not ideal at the moment, but they were they were good against the run. They were decent when they needed to be against the pass. I think they just gave a raise to both Mark Richt and uh, and Jeremy Pruitt, the defensive coordinator. Nick Chubb moving forward, I think, is a, is a no brainer 2015 Heisman candidate. And Georgia, even with the injury to, to Hudson Mason, Bryce Ramsey came in, wasn't great, looked like the green quarterback that he is. So they've got quarterback competition on their hands. They lose a, lo- a number of experienced guys on defense, but they've recruited well enough. And um, Georgia, the sort of lone ranked bright spot in the SEC. That pretty much sums it up. Let's move on. Let's go to the uh, Foster Farms Bowl. Did we ever figure out what Foster Farms makes? I told you they make chicken. They oh, make chicken. Rock chicken. Yeah, yeah. They're one of the chicken companies in the bowl. Yeah. What is it with chicken companies and bowl games? People love chicken, Ty. People did not love this bowl game, Dan. No. 45 to 21, Stanford knocks off Maryland. If you watch this game, if you were hoping for a close game, you probably turned it off at halftime. Right. Stanford went on a 21-point run, 21 unanswered points in the second quarter, led 28-7 at half, led 42-7 to at one point in the fourth quarter. I said going into this game, I had no confidence in Maryland at all. Wasn't totally confident in Stanford's ability to cover a 14-point spread. However, I was going to side with Stanford because I just, I felt nothing when I thought about Maryland. And the game wasn't even as close as the final score would indicate. This was a blowout from the word go. Yeah, uh, Maryland had a couple quarters. They had three of the four quarters. They scored seven points total. Um, Kevin Hogan looked like we expected him to look throughout the season, only looking like that in a couple of games. And Stanford was great on third down. They spread the ball out on the ground and through the air. And they were very clear, like, hey, it's third and three. We're going to run behind that giant group of enormous gentlemen, and you're not going to do anything. So not the Stanford of old necessarily, because the Stanford of old would not be seven and five going into a bowl game. But um, yes, the the clear talent discrepancy or differential, whatever, between the two teams was pretty clear. C.J. Brown was pretty awful. And uh, Stanford moving forward appears to be in a pretty good position. The recruiting hasn't been what it what it was. There'll be a quarterback competition in the spring. I believe Kevin Hogan's a senior. Um, but yes, another nice win, another nice notch for the Pac-12 when you look at their bowl performances. Absolutely. Let's move to uh, New Year's Eve. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about boat races? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I read to you from ESPN.com. This is their bowl overview capsule for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. I'm not making Mm -hmm. this up. Quote, TCU went up 14-0 in the first quarter while Bo Wallace coughed up two picks. Things just got worse from Ole Miss from there. That statement was listed under the subheading of it was over when (laughs) dot, dot, dot. Yeah. All right. Over after 14, nothing in the first quarter. It felt like I was watching Notre Dame, Alabama in that BCS championship game, because if you watched, you just knew they were toast. Ole Miss was toast. TCU took them apart. 
Ole Miss didn't score until midway through the fourth quarter. And it wasn't it wasn't really a bad game for as the score might mislead a bit. It wasn't a terrible game for Ole Miss's defense. But when you're on the field as much as Ole Miss offense demands that they be, that's that's tough sledding. Anything else that you took away from this game before I talk too long? I just find it's interesting that uh, when you look at the box score, there was a zero yard interception return. That to me was fun to see uh, Oh, for a touchdown. Yeah, for a touchdown. TCU yes. scored in a zero yard interception return because Dr. Bo just flailed one up into the air, which a uh, TCU defender caught and uh, landed on his feet, to score a touchdown. And beyond that, just Ole Miss being held to 129 total yards. They looked anemic on offense in this game, Dan. When you look for things that are consistent in college football, there may not have been a more consistent college football thing than outside of Laramie Tunsil, the Ole Miss line being really, really bad, especially against, you know, trying to pave the way for the running game. They averaged, what, 0.2 yards per carry in this game against, granted, very good TCU defense that, well, at least they can show themselves be very good at times, especially when you look at the back seven. Um, But... Yeah, Ole Miss unable to establish a run at all in this game. The turnovers were killer. And even though, you know, the Ole Miss defense came up big in a lot of spots, they got pressure on Trevon Boykin. They were able to make plays. They turned Trevon Boykin over a few times. It's just, there's only so much you can do when the offense cannot game. There's no game plan. There's no consistency. There's no rhythm to the Ole Miss offense in their losses. As we saw scoring zero against Arkansas and three against TCU. This is a team that very clearly peaked in October. And it's, it's a team that's not quite ready for prime time. Like the, what they used to call SNL people, you know, entertaining, but you're not, you're not quite there. And Ole Miss needs to be more complete. They don't have the depth on offense. The game plan was not there. And TCU was able to stomp a couple of trick plays, one trick play gone bad with the hook and ladder go, that turned into a fumble. Um, I am, I'm very curious about TCU moving forward because like Notre Dame, but on a much higher level, they bring back, everybody and Trevon Boykin, the step he took forward this year, that seven steps forward, how they were able to spread the ball out to a ton of talent, how they were able to run the ball, even without BJ Catalan, Aaron green comes in. He was fine. They were great on the ground, but they just kept chains moving, kept coming up with big plays. And honestly, Ole Miss looked demoralized early in the second quarter. It's that, that capsule that you read from totally accurate. Yeah. All right. Uh, The Vizio Fiesta bowl. Boise State 38, Arizona 30. Kudos here (laughs) to Jay Ajayi. Yes. One of my favorite names to pronounce, if only because I couldn't say it for the last two years. He rushed for 134 yards and three touchdowns. One of those guys, the announcers love pointing out, Mm -hmm. you'll be seeing on Sundays. Of course. Also kudos to Grant Hedrick, the quarterback Mm -hmm. for Boise State, who played really well in this game. Boise jumped out to an early 21-0 First quarter lead, the Cats come back. They had a shot at this one late, but a new Solomon takes a sack, and that was pretty much all she wrote. What do you think about a new Solomon as a quarterback, Dan? Do you like a new Solomon playing quarterback? It's better than him like doing taxes or becoming an insurance man at this point. Um, he is. He has shown clear flashes. I think he's still a little bit beat up from the season. He is a legitimate threat, and in this offense, He's a first year quarterback in a, a demanding offense for the quarterback. I think he's only going to get better. He will improve with the full off season, knowing hopefully that he is the starter. I know that Arizona's had a bunch of transfers and I'm not positive who's back off the top of my head. Um, I like him, you know, going anytime you are going to be consistently being coached by Rich Rod at quarterback, you're going to improve. Arizona's recruited a ton of speed all over the field on both sides. I think he's going to be good. I think 
you know, look, he's a, he's a starting quarterback for the team that won the Pac-12 South and is in the Fiesta Bowl. That's not an insignificant thing, but he has shown himself to be pretty sloppy against better competition outside of that Oregon game. Um, but I, I'm buying low on a new Solomon. This wasn't his best season. It won't be his best season. Arizona, their defense, you know, if you run right at him, there's a lot you can do, right? You, there's a lot you can do. Um, and Boise state was able to take advantage clearly the better and more experienced team won. but, um, I I'm encouraged by Arizona moving forward. All right. The capital one bowl, Georgia tech, 49 Mississippi state, 34 score here was 21, 20 at half. And then Georgia tech. Yeah. Like the yellow car in RC pro am kicked it into high gear, scored 21 unanswered points in the third that made it 42 to 21. So much for that SEC defense, Dan. Yeah, so much. Oh, Mississippi State's defense was never fantastic and touted as the reason. They were very good in the red zone and they made plays and they turned teams over, but it wasn't like this is a lockdown defense that was suddenly exposed. Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech's offense was the best thing in this game by a wide margin. Yeah. Yeah. No, even going into this game, Georgia Tech's offense is excellent in a vacuum, whatever. They're fantastic. They're unstoppable. Justin Thomas, I. He is one of the few players in college football, especially near the end of the season. But just because that's when I really started watching Georgia Tech in earnest, because there are only so many teams you can watch. But Justin Thomas with the ball in his hands, which it is on every play, is as electric and as, oh, God, what's going to happen just because of the players in motion, the op, the literal options that he has. Um, could not have been more fun this season in big games to watch Justin Thomas just severely, severely destroy ankles. And he's only a sophomore. He's going to be back for more. I don't think he's six feet tall. And he is he is the danger. And they had their way with uh, Mississippi State here. Mississippi State didn't quit. No, the, the you, you know, know, Dak Prescott had a very nice day, especially sure. through the air. Um, Georgia Tech got timely turnovers. But yeah, Mississippi State did fight. There was just only there was so much you can do. And if if these big games like the new the New Year's six and the playoff games were defined by anything, it would be the who's getting worn down and who's getting those turnovers. And they usually sort of related to each other. So um, I thought that was the the defining thing of this game. Mississippi State just could not get Georgia Tech's offense off the field. No, no, absolutely. And credit to Mississippi State because, you know, they did pretty well offensively we knew they'd have a fair amount of success moving the ball mm -hmm. on georgia tech but ultimately they just they couldn't come back from the deficit big um, spots i do give them credit though because they fought the whole way through here even yep. as georgia tech pulled away let's go to new year's day outback bowl 12 o'clock wisconsin mm -hmm. auburn dan what else can we say about Melvin Gordon that hasn't already been said. 34 rushes, 251 yards, clearly an outback bowl record right. for Melvin Gordon. He also, worth noting, finished within 42 yards of Barry Sanders' single season rushing record. Gordon on the year, listen to this, 343 rushes yeah. for 2,587 rushing yards, Dan. Wow. I I, I, that's a, obviously that's a ridiculous stat. I like it when those ridiculous running backs don't have good quarterbacks and still win. That's a sign where you've really made it as a running back. Cause Joel Stave was his usual, not good self in this game. He wasn't good, gave the ball up to Auburn and Auburn's defense. Isn't all that great. And when Wisconsin realized they're like, 
let's just simplify and have Joel Stave not involved in this game. Let's just give it to Melvin Gordon, Corey Clement. That's when things got real ugly. Um, and it's very clear why Auburn fired Ellis Johnson and is bringing in Will Muschamp and paying him all sorts of money for him and his, his old Florida assistants. Um, Wisconsin ends the season in a um, very mixed way, getting killed by Ohio State, the Big Ten championship game, losing their coach, but, you know, coming away with a bowl win over an SEC West team. The vaunted SEC West goes down to a Big Ten team. And um, this is this is an Auburn team that was in playoff discussions late in the season. And here we are with Wisconsin and an unexpected bowl win over over the, the Tigers. Good to see. It's just it's amazing to see the wins where like they did this wrong. They did this wrong. They did this wrong. Still won. Yeah. Still. Won. This, so. this was a very good game. A yeah. very good game. We actually had two good games going on simultaneously between the Outback Bowl and the Cotton Bowl, which we're going to get to next. But a nice yeah. win for Wisconsin and good on Barry Alvarez. You know, Grandpa, Uncle Barry, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call him, steps in, allows his assistants to run the game the way they would normally do. And sure enough, they come away the victor again, 34-31. This was a really fun game to watch. Switch over from the Cotton Bowl when uh, it looked as if Baylor was going to run away with this one. Right. They end up losing 42-41. to Baylor, Dan, was up 20 points at the start yeah. of the fourth quarter. Michigan State scores 21 unanswered. They get two touchdown passes from Connor Cook, another touchdown run from Jeremy Langford. They win this one in truly improbable fashion as Baylor essentially plays the role of TCU from the Baylor TCU game earlier this season. Not a good way for them to finish out their season. Definitely leaves a a bad taste in the mouths of a lot of Baylor fans, especially Mm -hmm. the ones I've talked to. But all in all, a good season for both these teams. Surely Baylor wishes they would have given it a little bit more effort there down the stretch and not uh, not have suffered this fate. Yeah, and it also became very clear, and this, if it wasn't before, Baylor is as their running game goes. And we saw them struggle mightily against West Virginia, lone loss of the season. We saw them really abandon, at least they ran against West Virginia like 40 times. They abandoned the run almost completely. And I know it's a numbers game when Bryce Petty steps up, and I rewatched this game actually recently. I half watched when it was on while I was at the Rose Bowl, just random tailgates and stuff. Um, rewatched this game, and it was very clear, and it's one of those things where... It sounds weird to say it, but Baylor, they need to score against a decent team. And Michigan State's far more than decent. They need to score 50 points because their offense gets off the field so quickly. If they're not establishing the run and eating clock and wearing down a defense, they almost they did what Michigan State does. And that's in a a negative way where they played three quarters because their defense was so worn down by having to play so much because Baylor was either scoring touchdowns or getting off the field quickly, not establishing the run, not wearing down Michigan State's front. So Michigan State's front in the second half, they were fresh. They were off the field quickly either way. And Baylor offensively not able to move the ball in six, seven yard chunks, which is great when you're completing and connecting on those big passes, which they did to Katie Cannon and what's his name? Corey Coleman. But unfortunately Baylor did Baylor had a plan for let's, let's run something huge. And they didn't have a plan for let's put together a drive. Let's get our own defense, some rest. Let's establish the run and wear down Michigan state for a four quarter game. And that's why in the second half or especially in the fourth quarter, it was all Michigan state had fresh legs. And Baylor doesn't have the depth on defense, even though they have the talent on both sides of the ball. They don't have the depth. And it was what it's Kendall Bryles first game as offensive coordinator. Sure, Bryles' sure. son. 
And I don't know what it was, but Bryce Petty, how many times did Bryce Petty throw the ball in this game? It, yeah. Whatever number it was, it felt double. He threw the ball 50 times. It felt like he threw the ball a hundred times. So with, you know, with shock Linwood, who's good, who didn't even run that well. He was very horizontal in this game. Wasn't taking the yards that were given it given to him. Jeremy Langford was very good for Michigan state. It just seemed that it, Michigan state looked like they'll let you if, if it was a, if it was a long distance, you know, they're running the 800, they're running the mile, whatever. They'll let you take the lead. They're going to stay within striking distance and their, their kick is going to be great at the end of that race. And that's, that was very clear that Baylor almost shot their wad, their proverbial wad <laughs> very early in this game, thinking it was like a two and a half quarter game. And they were not prepared for four quarters of physical football. And then there's the Buffalo wild wings, citrus bowl. Yes. Missouri wins 33 to 17. Missouri in this one rushed for 337 yards. They also forced three Minnesota turnovers. This was kind of a boring game to watch in the first half. And then all of a sudden it picked up. Missouri was able to find its sea legs and get things moving in a positive direction. Ultimately, Minnesota stalled out on offense. They they couldn't find a way to move the football against yeah. a really tough Missouri defense. And that was ultimately their undoing here. That said, I'm just excited. They brought the citrus bowl back. Mm-hmm. They already brought the peach bowl back. Good to see the citrus bowl back in the, uh, in the swing of things. I thought Mitch Leidner had a nice game. All things considered with the Missouri defense who now I think they say goodbye to their own defensive coordinator. Steckel, I believe yep. is his name. Sure. Uh, Marcus Murphy, Russell Hansborough. It was a very Missouri win. You know, Maddie mock, looked bad at points connected with Bud Sasser nicely at points. Uh, they ran the ball well. And yes, ultimately the, the talent difference between these two teams, David Cobb, who really is the engine that makes this Minnesota team go was not able to do much in a complete way for four quarters, which I think that the credit goes to Missouri's defense there and Missouri. I think they win two They win. they win two. They, they win 11 games for the second straight season, which is, I think it's pretty damn impressive as, as down as the, some of their opponents were this season in the sec, Missouri winning 11 games, two years in a row um, in very different fashions, by the way, last year was about speed and efficiency. I, I was reading about this on rock M nation on, on SB nation. It's a website um, company, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it was, it was very much a tale of two seasons this year. It was sort of, they said like duct tape and grit and a ridiculous, ridiculous defensive front. I think that's totally right. So good for Missouri. Another 11 win season. Yep. 23 wins actually over the last two years for Missouri, which is the yes. most in the history of the program. So Gary Amazing. Pinkle after a uh, rocky start in the SEC has clearly gotten things going. Dealt with attrition. Well, staff attrition has dealt with it pretty well. We'll see how the defense does losing the coordinator, but uh, quite impressed by how they keep that train rolling. All right. Some other bowl games here. We'll go through five more. Yeah. And then we'll bid fond to do mm. Lockheed Martin armed forces bowl Houston 35. Uh Oh, Pitt 34. So the score here, surely this game is over. <laughs> the score here was 34 to 13. Excuse right. me. With about six minutes left. Mm-hmm. Houston rips off 22 straight points and actually ends up winning this game. Yeah. If you believe ESPN.com, they had a 0.7 win percentage. You know, they have all these fancy stats now. The right. win percentage was 0.7% at the start of the fourth quarter when Houston at that point was down 25 points. According to ESPN, the fifth most unlikely bowl win in the last decade. That's about the same chance you gave Notre Dame. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. The game. 
Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, the impossible can happen. Mm-hmm. Two teams here playing with interim coaches, which was an interesting dynamic. Yep. But Houston's got a lot of talent. Tom Herman takes over next year. It is a program that I know we're both pretty fond of. I know you in particular think that uh, this is a program that's built to win now. Yeah, it's a great job. Once Tom Herman gets there, we'll see what he can do. But uh, a good way for Houston to close out its season for them to fight down the stretch the way they did here with an interim guy that uh, that told me a lot about their team and their chemistry. Yeah, and it should be noted, um, Marquis Ambles and Deontay Greenberry. Those are two five-star receivers that yes. Houston has. Greenberry, I don't know if he's turning pro or not. He's a junior. And Ambles, of course, you remember all this time, Lane Kiffin and USC and all that recruiting weirdness. Um, Houston is, is quite talented. Love the fact that they showed a lot of fight late in this game. Could not believe, and I love that they went for two at the end, could not believe that, uh, that Pitt was giving up that sort of lead with six minutes left. Three touchdowns in... I think the span of almost three and a half, four minutes, yeah, something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, good on Houston. It's a good job. They get Chad Morris. It, 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 excuse me. They don't get Chad Morris. They get Todd, Her- Tom Herman from Ohio state. Chad Morris went to SMU. Um, good for Houston. I think, uh, I think there's a base there for something pretty special considering what you can recruit to Houston and what you can build there. So um, Pitt, Good thing they're getting Pat Narduzzi. Yep. <laughs> I think that is that is very clear right now that they need they have some defensive issues that need working out. But uh James Conner has a nice day. Chad Wojtek, impressed with him and his ability both through the air and on the ground. I think he runs really well and should give Pitt a very nice dimension moving forward as a as a dual threat guy who's only a sophomore this year, has decent enough size to take some abuse. Um Pitt, another team I'm encouraged by, even with uh with them blowing a game uh on this level. <laughs> Pretty disheartening if you're a pitch yeah. fan. The uh, Tax Slayer Bowl. Mm. Tennessee 45, Iowa 28. Tennessee gets its first bowl win since 2008. They led this game 42-7 to at one point in the third quarter. Josh Dobbs, yeah. a really nice game. Uh, I don't know if you've got anything else to add here, but Tennessee getting a win. Tennessee, again, continuing that slow upward build towards what I think is an exciting 2015 campaign. Um, was good to see them get a win here. It was fantastic. And it was the most, possibly the most complete game of the season, at least given the opponent and how good I was been defensively, especially up front. Jalen Hurd moved the ball fantastically. Well, they did it without Marquez North Tennessee did Josh Dobbs looked to be in complete command and control just while he was playing. They pulled a lot of the starters late. Um, and that's when Iowa scored their points, but could not have been more impressed by Tennessee and what the landscape moving forward looks like in the SEC East new coach at Florida, Georgia looking as good as they did, but it's going to be a new quarterback and some new guys on defense next year, Tennessee with how much talent they've recruited. The offensive line is back. I, I can't imagine Tennessee's starting the season any lower as ridiculous as top 25 polls are before the season than like 18 or 19. I think, uh, I think Tennessee's in, in great position with what they bring back, which is essentially everybody. The Valero Alamo bowl. UCLA 40, K-State 35. UCLA actually jumped out to a, an early 17 to nothing lead here. Then they needed to hold off a late K-State rally in order to win. A huge game for Paul Perkins, who had close to 200 yards on the ground. Yeah, Brett Hundley did not quite as much on the ground as through the air, but it was close. He had 96 yards on his own. The story here for me, though, was not so much UCLA, but just K-State leaving some points on the field. We've seen it a couple times this year where they've done it. The Auburn game in particular is one that comes to mind. K-State left some points on the field here. I think if they get a few breaks, 
they might end up winning this game. God, it was such a nice first half for UCLA for them and just such terrible play calling in the second half. I don't know why teams when they go up in bowl games, they just shut it down. It yeah. seems so weird. Like, what, what do you, why are you, what is, what are you trying to protect here? This is the Alamo bowl. Go up and then get creative, do things that you wouldn't necessarily do. If you're fighting for the PAC 12 South crown, they went so creative. It was weirdly NFL in the second half really liked UCLA in the first half with Paul Perkins and Brett Hundley. I, I watched this game after the fact, cause I was following on my phone as I was out and I was wondering why UCLA jump up to this big lead running a nice offense, both Hundley and Perkins running well in the first half. And then just, First of all, UCLA and their slop factor needs to be addressed in the offseason. Way too many dumb penalties. It was um, it was a nice win for, because of where Kansas State has been. Kansas State could not run the ball on any sort of level at all during the game. At least they didn't try to, I guess. Um, and yeah, their second half, they made nice adjustments against UCLA defense. That was very good against them in the first half. Tyler Lockett got loose. Tyler Lockett and Curry Sexton love that duo criminally underrated in terms of college football receivers. And it just wasn't quite enough. There was some weirdness at the end of the game with the onside kick and the, the victory formation stuff, which I'm not a huge fan of yeah, the on the Kansas thing. state side. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. And I, I understand Jim Moore is trying to protect the safety and was upset about that. And I get, and I was not happy with the way Kansas state did things at the end of the game, but um, disappointed in UCLA and how we like weirdly conservative they got in the second half. Just step on the, the show some killer instinct. If you're going to win a division or a conference like the Pac-12, you're not going to get there by shutting things down against good teams. The Ticket City Cactus Bowl, Oklahoma State thirty, Washington twenty-two. Yeah, Oklahoma State got themselves a quarterback. Washington did not come alive in this game until the third quarter. Yeah. At that point, it was already too late, and the score was 24 to nil. I got to be honest with you, Dan. Did not see this one coming. Really? Not in a million years. No, I had Washington way up on my confidence rankings. I was not I was not confident in either one of these teams. I, I mean, if you were going to tell me Oklahoma State would win in a weird fashion after winning Bedlam, sure. Tell me Washington's going to run away with this game because of their defense and Tyler Miles having a good game. Sure. It just felt to me like Oklahoma State was dead to rights, and then... They come in a game like this. I looked at the scoreboard. I could I could hardly believe it, but a good win for them to close out the year. This was kind of one of those weird down years for Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. Usually a very consistent program, but clearly not up to their normal standards in 2014. A good win, though, nonetheless, in the bowl game, the Cactus Bowl over a Washington team that itself is trying to build back up now under the leadership of Chris Peterson. How did we not lead this game discussion with talking about James Castleman and the most athletic fat guy play of bowl season? Oh God. It was amazing. That on a, was a, play awesome. action, a huge spot. James Castleman, <laughs> the second leading receiver for Oklahoma state in this game, probably weighs more than a couple of the running backs combined 300 pounds. James Castleman, fantastic catch, huge play. I love, love when teams do this, when they take chances, a defensive tackle in at sort of tight end, fullback, whatever H back and has the big play. Love a good fat guy. Uh, Des rolling a nice day on the ground. They're very deliberate with their play calling, but was able to get it done. I don't think he even rushed for four yards of carry, but the encouraging thing is um, between Shepard and I believe James Washington, Oklahoma state is in a very nice position moving forward. Shepard's only a junior Mason Rudolph has a very nice game. Finally getting quarterback played just a freshman good size. I think 
we were down a little bit going on into the season on Oklahoma state with how much they lost, but I don't think we imagined some of the depths that they reached offensively. It, there does appear to be some optimism in Stillwater moving forward as they work in a number of, of talented pieces of depth on offense. And finally the Birmingham bowl. Yeah. Florida 28 ECU 20 Florida gets enough big plays from Vernon Hargraves and Treon Harris Mm-hmm. They win this one by eight. I, I think if you're a Florida fan, you're probably just excited that the season's finally over. Yeah. Move forward. Survive in advance. Finally, just happy that the season is over and uh, move on into the Jim McElwain era. Yeah. East Carolina threw the ball really well. Shane Carden, productive, gave the ball up too much. Um, they were able to run the ball relatively well. The Pirates were. Um, but yeah, the uh, on Florida side defensively, they, they did enough to to move forward. Adam Lane, a nice enough day for Florida on the ground. And I can't imagine Gators uh, are in a, any more excited place than they are now to see what they can do with perhaps a much more experienced head coach. All right. And there you have it. Those are all the bowl games we have. There's a, another one to be played. And then, of course, the national championship will be down again in Dallas, Texas. We'll be on Radio Row. We'll be talking about all things uh, Oregon, all things Ohio State. And uh, probably other college football things as well. So we hope you'll join us. Have we decided on our format or how we're going to do these shows? No. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to hang out with a bunch of our media buddies and, you know, talk about the national championship game and then go into trivia, life advice, whatever we're going to do. A lot of people, a lot of people yeah. looking for some redemption. Andy Staples and I, we did the, uh, we did trivia, 90s R&B trivia yeah. while waiting for what did we have? It was like double fried French fries with avocado crema and short rib and pickled onions. That sounds like Like, a lot of calories, Dan. It's, it's not the healthiest time, but uh, we went over, he was, he was pretty good with his trivia. So he got, he had a little bit of an advantage getting some uh, advanced pre trivia, but uh, a lot of fun shows. The whole SB nation team is going to be out there. So I'm sure we'll have some fun with them. And do they have a jacuzzi at the place we're staying? I'm told there will be no jacuzzi. There is a back porch. But no, jacuzzi. we could do a back porch show. Yeah, we are staying in a house. There's going to be some sort of big. It's going to smell like hell. Yeah, probably that house. It is like it's like a four bedroom house for like eleven people. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Any any final thoughts on? And this is I, I mentioned something on Twitter about it being an exhibition. Various games. It sort of isn't. It sort of isn't. I don't think you can fully judge teams and conferences from bowl games alone. But your stance now on conference strength, whether it even matters. And um, obviously we talked about the PAC 12, the big 10 did them did right by themselves. Oh yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, with Wisconsin, with Ohio state, Michigan hired a head coach, um, Michigan state, of course, coming back against Baylor. I, I thought the big winners, especially with Georgia tech playing like they did, I would say the big winners at the top, it, it's gotta be the big 10 and the PAC 12. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt about it. The SEC, the SEC East, the SEC East with did Georgia fine. and Tennessee. I think that I think that was a nice, nice bowl season. The SEC East did fine. The South SEC Carolina West. winning against Miami. That was nice. The SEC West left a lot to be desired. And yeah, I think the SEC West is the side of the conference that really buoyed the entire SEC as a whole. It, it was what added to that allure this season of the SEC being the best conference. It's why it was ranked as highly as it was Um, for them to go out into bowl season, albeit exhibition games and have the kind of showing they did to Mm -hmm. me was very disappointing. You're right. The PAC 12 acquitted itself incredibly well. 
the top, the very top of the Big Ten acquitted itself very, very well. Even teams like mm-hmm. Penn State, who played pretty well in a bowl game. Yeah. Uh, again, not the highest level of football, but still to go out there to fight to win in Definitely. the conditions that they did. It was it was pretty impressive. So, yeah, without question, if I'm ranking now in hindsight, in hindsight, I still think SEC is probably the best conference, but the Pac-12 is a pretty close second. Yeah, I think you got to put um, almost the Big 12 and the Big 10 in like a 3A, 3B I think that's fair situation at this point. I still probably give the nod to the big 12, but um, the big 10, the way it's best teams came on in bowl season to me was pretty telling that as urban Meyer said, maybe the conference isn't as bad as people thought. Maybe this was actually a decent conference and you know, we all just killed each other. So, you know, I, I would, I think I'd put the big 10 three a and the big 12 three B because the big 12 at this point, bowl season wise is TCU an okay Baylor performance, nothing fantastic. And then, ooh, ooh, I mean, Oklahoma State had a nice win, but West Virginia, Texas. Yeah. It, if, if I had told you in late September, I was like, look, SEC West, man, do they look strong. And quick future spoiler, Arkansas is the only team you're going to be really happy about after bowl season. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird dynamic. And here we are. Here we are. It is the first ever College football playoff national championship. Look for yep. our banner on iTunes. We will be mm-hmm. all over the place. I look forward to seeing you. Hey, I always look forward to seeing you. It'll be a good time down there in uh, in Dallas, Texas. That's it? That's all you got? I think that's pretty much all I got. All right. Well, I can't wait to hug you, Ty. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be fun. So, all right. I will see you on Thursday mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas. We will talk to all y'all at some point shortly thereafter keep it right here at solidverbal.com on mm-hmm. twitter at twitter.com slash solidverbal on facebook at facebook.com slash solidverbal also on fan cred also i'll post a vine or something maybe i'll do that do it we'll be fully engaged in this process get your anyway. vine game on all right well on that note i will see you when i see you we will talk to all y'all when we talk to you <laughs> i love you all thank you for that, go over there, Mr. Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildenbrandt, here in good old Allentown, PA. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you all in just a few days. Stay solid. Peace. Peace.